0: To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800 835 6747. Once again, that's 800 835 6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor.
1: Welcome, friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? What has two eyes, three hearts, nine brains, and blue blood? You might be thinking it's an alien, but it's actually an octopus. Octopus are some of the most unique and highly intelligent creatures in the sea. Found in oceans throughout the world, they can range in size from one inch to the largest individual on record, which was a Pacific octopus, which weighed in at 600 pounds and was 30 feet across. They have one brain for their head, and then a separate brain for each of their arms that can be independently manipulated without input from the primary brain. If they lose one of their arms, they can generally grow it back. Octopus also have blue blood thanks to the copper-rich protein in their bloodstream that makes it more efficient for transporting oxygen in cold ocean environments. All octopus have venom, but only the blue-ringed octopus is deadly to humans. In addition, These crafty creatures have the amazing ability to change their skin color and even the texture to camouflage their appearance. Using pixelated colors, texture, and arm contortions, in a fraction of a second these body artists can instantly vanish into the seascape. Some octopus can even morph their shape and color to appear like other creatures such as a lobster, snakes, or lionfish. And they are incredibly flexible they can squeeze through any hole if it's big enough to accommodate their beak. If all of these methods fail to confuse and evade their predators, then they release an inky black cloud as they jet away. You know, the Bible talks about a fallen angel that's even more versatile and crafty than an octopus. Stay with us, friends. We're going to learn more on this edition of Bible Answers Live.
0: You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions.
1: Welcome, listening friends, this is Bible Answers Live, and we'd invite you to call in if you have any Bible question, that number is 800-463-7297, that's 800-God-Says, if you want the acronym, 800-463-7297, call in now with your Bible question, and great chance you'll get it on tonight's program. We're also streaming what is happening here in the studio at the Amazing Facts Facebook page, as well as the Doug Batchelor Facebook page. And that's me, Doug Batchelor. Pastor Jean Ross is off tonight, but uh, we're going to go to the phones in just a minute after we pray together. Loving Lord, thank you for your word. That is the way, the truth, and the life that sets us free. And we pray now, Lord, that these words that are spirit and life will come to life As we study it on this broadcast, bless all who call in and the answers given, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm still amazed by the octopus. Uh, I've been scuba diving. Uh, Karen and I are certified, and more than once we've been up close and personal. In Hawaii, a couple of years ago, uh, one of our uh, divers that was with us caught a little uh, octopus and put it on his hand it just wrapped around his finger it was rather friendly i was surprised but they are in they're, it's almost like they're from another planet they're such interesting creatures they say they're related to mollusks but they got big eyes and a brain that a typical mollusk doesn't have and they can open jars they can take their suction cups and take two pieces of of uh coconut shell that are on the seafloor and pull them together to protect themselves like shields from their enemy they, they have the ability to learn very quickly. People in um, marine aquariums that study the octopus said they come to recognize individuals and they can solve puzzles and they're just very clever little creatures. And I've seen them before morph into coral. They'll be going along and suddenly turn from red to brown and change colors in just a fraction of a second. So they disappear. That could never evolve. But, you know, they're crafty creative ability makes me think of another creature he is a creature he is not a creator and his name is the devil and he has the ability to morph as well you can read about it all the sin in the world today started when the devil he actually possessed a serpent in genesis chapter three now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the lord god had made and he said to the woman, "Has God said, so now the devil is speaking through this serpent? And Jesus warned us in Matthew seven, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves, so the devil can morph into a sheep or make you think he's a sheep, but he's still a wolf and even in second Corinthians eleven fourteen Paul tells us there, and no wonder for Satan himself." can transform himself into an angel of light. When Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, I seriously doubt that the devil appeared looking like some diabolical monster and then started to try to tempt Jesus. Who would be fooled by that? I think the devil appeared as an angel of light, pretending he was sent by the Father, and then he began to try to tempt and confuse Jesus. Now, we don't need to be fooled by the devil's tricks, and, counterfeits. and we, we've we got a book that, well, I don't know if we've offered this in some time. If you'd like a free copy of our book, it's called Satan's Confusing Counterfeits. It's a classic written by Joe Cruz that'll help you be more aware of what the devil's, some of his confusing tricks are. Satan's Confusing Counterfeits. If you want a free copy, here is the resource number. You dial 800-835-6747. That's if you want uh, either a chaplain to pray with you, or if you want uh, one of the free resources. One more time, 800-835-6747. If you have a Bible question, call us 800-463-7297. We're going to talk to Patrick in Toronto, Canada. Patrick, you're on the line with Bible Answers Live.
2: Hi, Pastor Doug. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
2: I'm good. I have, um, I actually have two questions, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna go pretty quick. Um, the Earth kept Sabbath. I just want to find out how long the Earth kept, kept Sabbath until it was changed to Sun. Until people observed Sunday.
1: Well, the Sabbath uh, was instituted in Genesis chapter two on the seventh day. You know, God made the world in six days, but we have a seven day week, cause God added one more day because life is nothing without love and he added another day for quality time and love relationships between man and his creator so the sabbath started then and the sabbath has never ended you know every seventh day has been god's sabbath from creation till now his people through time have often neglected or forgot it or not kept it correctly the sabbath hasn't stopped now during the dark ages So you're wondering when did they start uh, changing it so that many Christians were keeping the first day instead of the seventh day?
2: Yeah. um, When did they? um, I believe I heard you mention before that the earth kept um, that the people kept Sabbath for I don't remember how many years. I don't know if it was over a thousand years, and and I'm just trying to find out when did it when did they start observing Sabbath?
1: Well, first of all. After I'll do my best to answer your question, and then there's a couple of books I can offer you, a free book and even a website that'll answer that in more detail. When the children of Israel were in Egypt, they began to neglect the Sabbath, and the Pharaoh was trying to get them to work seven days without rest, making bricks without straw. Well, the Pharaoh got upset with Moses. He said, you're making the people rest, and that word rest is Shabbat, same exact word. He said, you're making the people Shabbat. I'm going to double their workload. Then when they get out of the wilderness, before they ever get to Mount Sinai, God gives them bread six days a week. And he said, gather twice as much on the sixth day, because there'll be none on the seventh day. That's the Sabbath. You know, the Lord was saying you've been neglecting the Sabbath before he ever reiterates it at uh, Mount Sinai. Then during the Christian dispensation, after the disciples began to go everywhere preaching, the early church all kept the Sabbath. It wasn't until maybe two and a half, three hundred years after Christ when, in order to reach the pagans with the conversion of Constantine, they said, well, let's keep two days so that we can, you know, start bringing the pagans in. And then gradually, they began to neglect the seventh day, and so many Romans came into the church, they started keeping the first day. And it happened over a period of a couple hundred years. There have been faithful people all the way from the time of Adam to the present that have kept the Sabbath. There's a website I recommend that's got a lot of historical documentation on this and uh, different scholars that have talked about it. It's called sabbathtruth.com, sabbathtruth.com. I hope that'll help a little, Patrick. I know you had another question, but I see the phones are lighting up, and I want to be fair to our other callers. So uh, call back again. We'll deal with some of the other questions. Thank you, Zane, we're talking to. Zane, you're on the line with Bible Answers Live. Good evening. I had a question regarding just... um
2: a christian to grow because ever since the first part of this year i um wanted to grow closer to god and that was something i really wanted to do involved especially revolving around you know reading get the real close to
1: your phone zane your your voice is drifting off a little bit so get real close to your phone so you're you're wanting to know how to grow closer to the lord
2: yes because i've been going through a lot of struggles and stuff. My family's been suffering, you know, even close friends of mine. And I've been trying to see the light and everything,
1: but it just feels like everything's
2: just being hard. And I I worry that I'm not going to be able to withstand all this stuff going on.
1: All right. Well, prayer, of course, is very powerful. Let Let me give you the secret ingredients for spiritual growth are three things. To be healthy physically, you, of course, need food, you need exercise, you need to breathe, you need water, to be healthy spiritually, you need food and water, I kind of they're in one category, that's the living water and the bread of life. You need to be reading the word, praying for God's spirit. Uh, the most important thing that we need to ask for is the Holy Spirit. Now I know you're going through some trials, but keep this in mind, God promises in First 1 Cor- First Corinthians chapter 10. The Lord will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able to bear. So he'll never put a burden on you that you're not able to bear with his strength. The other thing is share your faith. When you're going through a hard time, it really helps, even if you're struggling, to think about others. Even on the cross, Jesus reached out to save a thief next to him. He stopped thinking about his own suffering on the cross and thought about the thief that was perishing next to him so don't don't become so uh, focused inward on some of the challenges you're having that you you know you can become absorbed with it and ex- so you got exercise you need to eat you need to breathe and that's prayer so if you're doing those things you'll grow in the sanctuary there were 3 pieces of furniture in the holy place the light that's letting your light shine that's the exercise witnessing sharing your faith You've got the bread. That's the Word of God. Man doesn't live by bread alone. We need to read our Bibles every day. And then you have the altar of incense. Revelation says that altar is a symbol of the prayers of the saints. So we need to pray. Uh, You continue to do those things. I've never met a backsliding Christian that was actively involved in prayer, Bible study, and sharing their faith. We've got a book. We'll be happy to send you a free copy Zane. And it's talking about Teach us to pray. It's about the prayer life and the devotional life, and that will strengthen your faith, I promise, and you will grow. Thank you so much for your question. Going to talk next to E. Frank calling from New York. E. Frank, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live.
2: Yes, uh, good evening, Pastor Doug. Uh, I call this uh, evening to your show because uh, I was just wondering. uh, I, I read about these places that are in the Bible, or names and prophets that are in the Bible and and I compare them to street names here in New York City in the borough and county of the Bronx called Trinity Place then there's another place in Manhattan in the county of New York called St. Mark's Place and then I see another place called DeKalb Avenue in Brooklyn and I just was wondering Pastor Doug why do they name streets after figures and biblical uh, persons in the Bible
1: you know, some of that goes way back. My my guess is, E Frank, that, you know, at one point there was churches on some of those streets. Some of the street names we've got go back a couple hundred years if you're on the East Coast, and there may have been a church called Trinity Church and the street ended up becoming Saint Mark's Street for the Saint Mark's Church or Trinity Church or some of these were probably Episcopal or Anglican churches that came from England. Some maybe the Catholic churches that were established. That's my guess. I don't know. Every street in the history might be a little different. You might find a street named Abraham several places in North America, and it could be a Bible character, and it could be uh, an individual. So I'm not sure, but I have seen streets before that were named after churches because it was the prominent building on the street, and the street just took up that name.
3: Do you feel as though your world is spiraling out of control, or perhaps new life challenges are frightening you more than they should? Are you sinking while you're thinking? Excessive worry can consume you, eating you from the inside out, resulting in sickness, insomnia, and paralyzing fear. It can also damage relationships, ruin opportunities, and yes,
1: diminish your witness for the gospel. Worry affects everybody differently, but it's all driven by fear. So how can you overcome a world full of reasons to be anxious? I'd like to recommend for you my new book, Finding Peace in a World of Worry. You'll discover a lifeline to victory, a place where you can cast your cares upon Christ, and experience a serenity that isn't subject to your circumstances. Get your copy of Pastor Doug's Finding Peace in a World of Worry
3: today. Call 800-538-7275 or visit
0: afbookstore.com. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at one 800 Says. For life-changing Christian resources,
3: visit afbookstore.com or call
1: 1-800-538-7275. We're going to talk with uh, D. Uh, D is calling. Hi D. You're on the air with Bible Answers Live.
2: Oh, my gosh. Yes. Can you hear me?
1: Loud and clear.
2: I don't know why I feel nervous. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, don't be nervous.
2: I mean, this is a happy birthday. Hi, how are you?
1: I'm good.
2: My question is, I'm trying to learn how to keep the Sabbath. Okay, like my family, um, they're having like a, a like say a baby shower or a birthday or something on the Sabbath. So am I not? Can I just sit there? They're going to say, well, wow, what kind of person are you not participating
1: I know that can make it a little difficult. Well, you know, there's different kinds of occasions. If a person is, I've been to weddings before. Wedding is, you know, biblical, so it can be a sacred occasion.
2: What's a baby shower? Well, a
1: baby shower, you know, and sometimes what you need to do is you don't want to neglect your worship. It depends on when, you know, when this might be happening. You do your best to go and you know try to support the family without sacrificing your convictions if you can do that sometimes it depends from one family occasion to another and one family to another if you know you've got a family occasion and your family is going to be drinking and they're going to have the football game going it's really going to be hard for you to be in the mind of of the sabbath during those occasions but then you know they might be Christians having a baby shower and it's going to be a spiritual occasion so it you can have to be the judge of that but you don't want to put god second place to friends and family. Obedience to the Lord is going to always be the most important thing. At the same time, you know, God wants you to show your love for the for your family. Uh, Jesus, he went to weddings, and he believed in coming to social occasions to celebrate events in life. You, you just pray for wisdom. I don't want to be the Holy Spirit, and just in, on a case-by-case basis, depending on the circumstances, some might be something that you could uh, do in good conscience and still keep the Sabbath. And some might not. So I hope that helps a little. We do have a book that we can send you a copy if you ask for it, D. It's called How to Keep the Sabbath. And there's a bunch of principles in there that I think will help you with that. If you call the resource number 800-835-6747, D, we'll send you a free copy of that. How to Keep the Sabbath, 800-835-6747. And thank you for your call going to go next and talk with albert calling from montana albert you're on the air with bible answers live
2: good evening pastor doug how are you doing
1: doing well So, a nice question
2: i have for you pastor is uh could you define to us what uh or acts
1: two the, the whole chapter well you you want me to read the whole chapter or just say what it's about
2: or just yeah just uh give a, a a brief summary on what it is
1: well acts two is when god pours out the holy spirit Following their ten days of prayer in the upper room, and it contains Peter's first sermon. So it's you know, probably forty-seven, forty-eight verses.
2: Yes, it, it is. It's it, it's forty-seven verses. But
1: uh, was there something specific in the chapter you're wondering about, or?
2: Uh, yes, I I, I uh, believe the apostles were uh, trying to, trying to colonize
1: people. Or
2: could you give me a, a better summary of, of your in interpretation towards that chapter
1: yeah well you can read where jesus said that after jesus ascended to heaven he said wait in jerusalem for the holy spirit and the holy spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses christ appeared among the disciples for 40 days then he ascended to heaven while they were watching said wait for the holy spirit uh, it will come and they prayed in the upper room there in jerusalem for 10 days chapter 2 begins the holy spirit is poured out in mighty power the disciples are given the ability to speak in other languages it happens during the jewish festival of pentecost where jews from around the roman empire have come to worship they speak other languages so they hear the disciples speaking in their native tongues talking about christ and peter preaches a powerful sermon explaining that jesus is the messiah and at the end of his sermon they're so convicted they say men and brethren what shall we do Peter says, repent, be baptized, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then 3,000 are baptized. And uh, the church really took off at that point. It went from 12 and 120 in the upper room to thousands. And you read in a few chapters later, another 5,000 are baptized. You know, the main theme of that chapter is dealing with the Holy Spirit. And if you like, I'd be happy to send you the um, book that i wrote called our greatest need the holy spirit and all you've got to do is ask for that albert and call uh, the number to call is 800-835-6747 ask for pastor doug's book tell him you're listening to bible answers live on our greatest need the holy spirit and i think you'll be blessed by that okie dokie. let me see who we got next lined up here beverly is calling from california beverly you're on the air with bible answers live
2: Thank you for taking my call. You know, I've been thinking and wondering about when is our name actually put into the book of life?
1: I think that when a person accepts Jesus and they repent of their sins and confess their sins, their names are entered into the book of life. Even, you see, Moses talked about those that were in God's book. And he he acted like while he was alive, his name was in God's book. So the book of life, people can have their names written in it while they're alive.
2: Well, that's what I thought.
1: Yeah. And in Revelation, I think further proof for that is in Revelation, Jesus sends a message through the apostle John to the churches. And he tells one of the churches, I'm trying to remember which one it is right now, that except they repent, he will take their name out of the book. So their names must already be in the book if he's threatening to take their names out of the book.
2: Well, see, that's what I thought, but then I kept thinking, well, maybe they're put in when we're born, that everyone's name is put into the book of life, and then if you don't um, accept Christ, or if you don't, um, be, you're not converted, or you're not baptized, and the different things, then your name would be removed, so you would not have eternal life.
1: No, I think your name. You see, we don't have eternal life by virtue of being born. We're we're born with our fallen natures.
2: But a baby does, doesn't it?
1: Well, a baby is is not guilty of sin. So if a child dies before the age of accountability, then they're going to be saved. But that doesn't mean their names are entered in the book of life by virtue of a choice of accepting Christ. I think that's a separate issue. So once a person reaches the age of accountability and they've sinned, we want the, our sins forgiven and God enters our name in the book of life. And that happens, I believe, at the time of conversion. That's why they call it, you know, Jesus said, unless you are born again, it's the second birth that qualifies us, not the first birth, the second birth, born again, that qualifies us for having our names in God's book. Uh, thank you very much for that, Beverly. I'm going to see if I can take another call before we uh, go to our break here. All right. Is it Gardner in New York? You've got a question.
2: Yes, sir. Uh, good evening, Doug. Uh, Luke 12, Luke twelve, forty seven 47 to 48 talks about uh, people being beaten with many stripes. Uh, if you knew to do good and you didn't do the Lord's will, many stripes. And if you didn't know, but you still did some things that uh, deserve stripes, that you'll be beaten with less stripes. know, uh, looking at this uh, at the first glance, it, it sounds like that uh, people being scourged as the salvation process, either reward or punishment. I don't think that's what that means. So wh- what did those stripes mean in those two? scriptures
1: please yeah when uh, the word stripes is sort of a general term that was used in bible times for punishment and jesus does say everyone is rewarded according to his works and there are varying degrees of works and there are varying degrees of rewards Uh, in roman times if you were bad they had different levels of whipping that would happen you know if it was a minor offense, you might get whipped twice if the most serious would be i think 39 lashes no one was allowed to be whipped more than that because it might kill them when Jesus talks about few stripes and many stripes, he's talking about degrees of punishment based upon uh, bad behavior. And he said if a person knows his master's will and he ignores it, he's going to be dealt with more severely than if a person sinned kind of against his own conscience, but he didn't really know. I think Jesus is just saying, you know, there are varying degrees of punishment and reward in, in the kingdom. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I just want to just say, you know, uh, we don't think of different degrees of punishment. Now, we we do think of different degrees of reward in heaven. Now, we all heard that, but we don't think that, um, uh, that there's going to be different levels of torture in hell.
1: Well, Jesus said that to whom much is given, much is required. He that is faithful in least is also faithful in much. And then you read in Revelation, behold, he comes in the cloud and his reward is with them to give to every man, According to his works, there are varying degrees of punishment. Now, see, we don't believe we believe there is a lake of fire and people are um, punished according to what they deserve. We don't believe that lake of fire burns for billions and zillions of years endlessly. We think that um, ultimately the wicked, depending on you know what they've done, they're going to be burnt up. Bible says in Malachi chapter four, the wicked are burnt up. They're consumed. You can read and it says it's the second Death. They are devoured. They perish into smoke. They consume away. Their name will not be anymore. So the language in the Bible is you either have the everlasting life or you perish. But before the wicked perish, they are punished according to what everyone deserves. Don't go away, friends. We're coming back. You want more information on that question? You want to go to helltruth.com. Helltruth.com. More information on the subject of hell. And we're going to take a brief break. Be back with more Bible questions. Stand by. <music> Stay
0: tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly.
3: Throughout recorded history, tales of ghosts and spirits can be found in folklore in nearly every country and culture. Egyptians built pyramids to help guide the spirits of their leaders. Rome sanctioned holidays to honor and appease the spirits of their dead. Even the Bible tells of a king that used a witch to contact the spirit of a deceased prophet. Today, ancient folklore of spirits and apparitions have gone from mere superstitions to mainstream entertainment and reality. Scientific organizations investigate stories of hauntings and sightings, trying to prove once and for all the existence of ghosts. Even with all the newfound technology and centuries of stories all over the world, there is still no clear-cut answer. So how do we know what's true? why do these stories persist does it even matter we invite you to look inside and find out for yourself visit deathtruth.com did you know amazing facts has a free bible school that you can do from the comfort of your own home It includes 27 beautifully illustrated study lessons to aid in your study of God's Word. Sign up today for this free Bible study course by calling 1-844-215-7000. That's 1-844-215-7000. For life-changing Christian
0: resources, visit afbookstore.com. You're listening to Bible Answers Live! To receive any of the bible resources mentioned in this evening's program call 800-835-6747 once again that's 800-835-6747 now let's rejoin our hosts for more bible answers live
1: welcome back listening friend this is doug Batchelor, and this is bible answers live pastor ross is off for the night And if you have a Bible question, you can call 800-463-7297. We are also streaming the program. If you want to see what happens here in our little studio outside of Sacramento, California, you just go to the Doug Batchelor Facebook page or the Amazing Facts Facebook page. You'll see it there. We're going to go right back to the phones and talk to Tommy in Alabama. Tommy, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Thank you, Pastor, for
2: taking my call. Thank you. I was wondering, I'm not really having a uh, faith crisis, more of a de- denomination crisis. Um, I know that there's different denominations who may say that they are the true church or their restored church. Is there a true church? And can you maybe suggest a book or article to read?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, we'll send you a book, uh, if you call the number, it's called Search for the True Church. There are criteria that are given in the Bible. How do you find that church. And so when you follow the criteria, it narrows the field very quickly. You can read in Revelation 17 about this false mother of harlots. She's called Babylon, and it describes that she's been unfaithful. She becomes sort of like a political institution, and it says she has daughters that came out of her. There's no question, you know, there's hundreds of different denominations that call themselves Christian. Many say they use the Bible in various degrees. Some say they use the Bible plus the writings of, of somebody else. You know, you just want to go by what does the Bible say? The criteria is if you're searching. Promises, seek, and you'll find. Now, will people be saved from many different churches? I believe absolutely. God looks on the heart. We've got to be careful not to judge. Is there a church that is closer to the Bible than others? Obviously, there must be. You know, you want to be there. I think there's a movement that is also foretold in, in prophecy that you can trace. Now, let me just remind you, in the Old Testament, did God have a people? Was there a nation that he was specifically working with? Yes. Nation of Israel. Does that mean that they were all good people and they always did things right? No. No. Uh, there, there are a lot of ups and downs, but he delivered to them the oracles of truth. That's a quote from Paul. God gave the Jewish nation his word. They had the law. They had the writings of Moses. They had the prophets. They had the truth. Even Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, she wanted to argue with Jesus, which mountain? It's like saying, which church? Which mountain are we to worship on? Jerusalem or Gerizim? And Jesus said, salvation is of the Jews. It was very clear. God had given the word to the jewish nation well now the jews have been scattered around the world and christ came and the church grew is there a particular movement that god is working with today take a look at that book called search for the true church we'll send you a free copy just call 800 and i think this will really help you tony 800-835-6747 that is the resource number you know friends we have thought for years about another way to do it but we need two numbers we need the number for questions We need the number for resources because they're really going to two different places. Uh, One is specifically set up to pray with people and to send out the resources. And the people here in this studio are are all wired to take and screen the calls and engineer the program. So that's why we give out two numbers. But if you want the the free resources, 800-835-6747. And with that, let me see, we're going to talk to Henry in the Bronx. Henry, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live.
2: Yes, oh Pastor, is there is it written anywhere in the Bible? And uh, when Christ descended up to heaven, uh, they made Peter the first pope of Rome.
1: No, sometimes the um, the Catholic Church will say that God had elected Peter to be the first pope. Nothing could be further from the truth. And they talk about where Jesus said, "On this rock, I will build my church." See, Jesus says to Peter, "You are Peter," and the word Peter there means petros it means rock when you could pick up and throw rock you'd put in a sling but he says on this petra the petra is a rock of immense proportions like the rock of gibraltar and the great rock that jesus is alluding to is what peter had said that christ jesus was the christ on that statement he was going to build his church the church was not being built on peter because within a few minutes of jesus saying that he turns to peter and he said peter satan get behind me <laughs> he calls peter satan let's hope jesus isn't building his church on the apostle peter because peter kind of went up and down a few times and it's the truth of his word that christ has built the church on peter is not the first pope uh, one thing we know right away peter was married popes are not married and so this idea of papal succession is not taught in the bible hopefully that helps a little bit uh henry you would enjoy our DVD on Revelation, The Bride, The Beast, and Babylon. You call 800-835-6747. Ask for the DVD, The Bride, The Beast, and Babylon. You know, anyone out there that wants that, it isn't very long before our DVDs find their way to YouTube. And I think you could probably see that on YouTube. Uh, And our new DVD that we're advertising now, called Kingdoms in Time, about prophecy. That can be also downloaded from Amazon Prime. Amazon thought it was so good. And and Pure Flix, they're carried by both of those online movie services. All right, talking to Ghana, Africa. Emmanuel, welcome. You're on the line. Good
2: morning, Pastor
1: Good morning. Morning for you. And uh, how can we help you today?
2: Well, uh, please, my question uh, this morning is about the Holy Spirit in Acts 1, verse 4 to 11. Um, uh, It says, when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles or the disciples, they were speaking in tongues. And then some men from Jerusalem, they heard the tongues in, in different languages and in 18 languages. But when I read First uh, Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, it says the tongues is a mystery to God. No one un- understands it. So I, I just want to know if uh, we should understand all tongues. or I mean, yeah, I just want to understand that.
1: All right, let me see what I can do. Now, that's a question I'm especially interested in because uh, when I first became a Christian, most of my friends I fellowshipped and worshiped with, they practice speaking in tongues. And I was very mystified and confused by this. I'd read it in the Bible and I had always, you know, I read the Bible by myself pretty much up in a cave. And when I came across this subject, I never got out of it what they were getting. Uh, Jesus says in Mark 16, that you're to go into all the world and he said you will speak with other tongues the word tongues there simply means languages At the day of pentecost it was brilliant timing god gave the apostles the ability to supernaturally speak other languages that they had not formerly known or studied for the purpose of spreading the gospel to these visiting jews from all over the roman empire and it mentioned 16 different language groups in acts chapter 2. They then are converted. They take the gospel back to their countries and they preach. In 1 Corinthians 14, uh, the church of Corinth is the only church that Paul writes to and talks about tongues. Paul never mentions tongues in any of his other letters, just 1 Corinthians. The Corinthian church was made up of largely slaves that lived in Corinth from the Roman Empire. They spoke many different languages or probably from many different countries And their services were lots of translation, people getting up, praying, and speaking in languages. The word tongues just means languages. The others did not understand. And Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 14, he who speaks in an unknown language doesn't speak to men, but to God. No one understands him. In the spirit, he's speaking mysteries. In other words, he might be spirit-filled, but what he says is mysterious to everyone else. And, you know, if I should say, sotik Malcarusia. Well, that's Panapan from Micronesia. Good evening, everybody. Most people don't know that. Or if I were to say, Anivarakam Malivarikum. See, I've been to these countries and I learned how to say good evening. That's uh, Tamil. Good evening, friends. It's not helping anybody if I speak in these tongues that nobody knows. Paul is simply saying, let there be an interpreter if you're going to be speaking in a tongue others don't understand. People take this chapter and totally confuse it. Hey, I tell you what, Emmanuel, I know you're in Africa, so we can't mail it to you, but you go to the Amazing Facts website, and you can freely download a book I've written called Understanding Tongues. It goes completely through the subject of tongues. It's a quick read, but it's very thorough. Understanding Tongues, and it uses all these verses in 1 Corinthians. Anyone out there, if you're confused about what's going on in some of these churches with speaking in tongues, I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit, I believe in the gift of tongues. I believe it has been mistaught by many. You read the book. You see if uh, it sticks to the scripture. That's the main test. One more time, if you want a free copy, 800-835-6747. And that's the book, Understanding Tongues. Or download it at amazingfacts.org. Amazingfacts.org. Thank you, Emmanuel, for your, your faithful call. And let me see here. We're going to go to Joseph calling from Pennsylvania. Joseph, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Good evening, uh, Pastor. Evening. Thank you for your patience.
2: Oh, no problem. I uh, I wanted to know if Jesus, uh, in his experience on earth, ever had any uh, ability to sympathize with us when we feel guilt. We know from Hebrews 14 that, he, that we have Jesus as our high priest who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in all the things that we were, but we go ahead and sin where Jesus never did. So we Even though we repented and are forgiven, sometimes we'll have feelings of guilt and say to ourselves, how could I have ever, you know, what was I thinking? But is there anything in Jesus' earthly experience that would allow him to sympathize with our weaknesses when it comes to guilt?
1: Great question. First, let me say that part of wisdom is that you can empathize with a person and you can empathize with their mistakes without having to make their mistakes. You know, they say wisdom is learning from other people's mistakes. I might sympathize with a friend who lost his wife. And to the best of my ability, I will empathize means you feel what they're feeling. It comes from the word pathos. I've never lost my wife, but I can try to empathize with them. Now, Jesus, though, when it comes to feeling guilty, in a sense, he does know how we feel because on the cross, he took our sins. He felt the shame and the separation that we feel from the father. Matter of fact, that for him was probably the most painful thing is Christ felt the shame. He felt the the sin and the darkness, the separation, the guilt, because he took all of ours uh, willingly. I think that, yeah, he really did experience that. And uh, that is a great question, Joseph. Bible says that he was tempted in all points. And then one more thing to remember, because God is all-knowing. One of the characteristics of God is he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. That means he knows everything you think. He knows every feeling you feel, every sensation you feel. Jesus did not need to live on earth to know how we feel. He may have needed to do it in part so we would know that he knows. It's not that God doesn't know. it, so that we'll know he knows how we feel. But God knows everything. So he is perfect at uh, empathizing with our suffering. Good question. Thank you, Joseph. Oh, let's see here. Talk to Alice in Placerville, I'm assuming California. Alice, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live.
2: Hi, Pastor Doug. Um, I have a question that comes from John 14. The chapter is talking about the Holy Spirit and um, about being the comforter. And my question is, this this might be something that can't be answered until we're in heaven, but I've got to ask. Um, I've got really curious. I'm fairly familiar about what the the role of the Holy Spirit is while we're here on earth. But what I'm kind of curious about is, what will get the role of the Holy Spirit in heaven and the new Jerusalem?
1: Well, you know, the role of uh, the Father, Son, and Spirit for us will be different. Right now, all three members of the Godhead are involved in our redemption. They will not be involved in that in heaven. But Jesus, when he took on our form, he did take on a physical body. He still has that in the resurrection. The Holy Spirit, wherever we go through the universe, the presence of God will be with us through God the Spirit. And Jesus said the Spirit is not only with us. He said he will be in you. One of the ways that we know God is by God in us. You know, Paul always talks about Christ in you jesus is in us through the holy spirit that's why he said it's expedient that i go to the father because you know i can only be with some of you now physically but when i go to the father then i can be in you through god the spirit wherever you go that's why christ going to heaven he said i am with you wherever you go so even in the universe i plan on doing some serious traveling when i get to heaven finding out what god's got out there and god is going to be with me wherever i go through the spirit
2: I see. Okay.
1: One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is, of course, to convict of sin. We won't have that in heaven. Uh, So, you know, Jesus, of course, is our redeemer, and we're not going to need further redemption in that respect. You know, I have a book. I'll be happy to send your free copy, Alice, and it's called The Holy Spirit, Our Need, and it talks a little bit about, I think even in the end of the book, I talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in heaven. So Heaven It's been a few years since I wrote it and I'm trying to remember. We'll send you a free copy. Call 800-835-6747 and ask for that book, The Holy Spirit, The Need. The Bible tells us that salvation, of course, emanates from God. So we need to know something about God to rightly understand and embrace salvation. Yet in the church today, there's a great deal of confusion about the nature of God. The Bible says God is one God, but is he three persons? Is Jesus also eternal God? Because Jesus is the Son of God, does that mean there was a time when he did not exist or he was brought into existence? Is the Holy Spirit a person or is he just the force and the energy that God uses to communicate? You know, I thought this was so important. I really felt led of the Lord to write a book on the subject called Exploring the Trinity, One God or Three. In this book, we answer those very important questions. We talk about the history of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, as well as the history of the Holy Spirit in the church and how it has been much debated. This is something we really need to understand, because Jesus said eternal life comes from knowing God. And with that, we're going to go to another call. Let's see, talking next with uh, Chris calling from Georgia. Chris, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live.
2: Um hello Pastor Doug. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. Um my question Thank you. Yes, thank you. My question is um how do you go about praying for a potential spouse because sometimes I feel guilty praying for somebody that I have specifically in mind versus praying for God's will and simply waiting. Um, so, yeah, that's my call, and, and thank you so much for, again, taking
1: thank my call. That's a good question. You know, one of the most important decisions in life, uh, there's uh, three or four very important events in life. You know, one is your birth. Most people don't have much choice in that. Another one is your death. Most people don't have a big choice in that. And uh, One is to follow Jesus in baptism. We do have a choice in that. And one of the other really big decisions is your life partner, assuming you do get married. Not everyone does. Uh, having the right person can uh, <laughs> can be a life-and-death decision. Quite literally, that person can help encourage you on the path to God or away. You know, Jesus said you don't want to be unequally yoked, so praying for that right person is very important. Now, you may have someone specific in mind, and you think, boy, I sure feel attracted to them. Lord, I hope that that person will say yes and that they're the one. Well, you know, you can... Tell God what you would like, but then you always want to submit to him and say, Lord, if this is your will, because though I may be attracted, if this is not the person that you have in mind, I want who you have in mind. That will always be better in the long run to ask for what God's will is. You know, Chris, I have a book I've written on marriage, divorce and remarriage. And and even if you're not involved in divorce uh, or remarriage, it does talk about principles of marriage. And I think you'll enjoy that. And The Price is Right. We'll send you a free copy if you'd like it. How's that sound?
2: Oh, that sounds amazing. Thank you so much.
1: All righty. Thanks so much. And we'll pray for you that you find the right person. That book is, again, Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage. And it's 800-835-6747. That is not the price. The book is free. That's the phone number. 800-835-6747. And we'll send you that book. All right. We've got time for a couple more callers um ken in alabama i think ken you're on the air with bible answers live
2: uh yes sir how are you tonight
1: doing good are you going down the road
2: uh, yes sir i am yeah
1: all right well I'll, let me take your question i'll do my best i might have to answer uh put you on hold
2: uh, that, that's perfectly fine um my question is um can you lose your salvation once you've received christ as your savior
1: all right very good question and that's one of the big debates in the Christian world is once you've accepted Christ, can you lose your salvation? Well, there are verses that promise that if we come to the Lord, he'll never forsake us. He will never let go of us. But that can be misunderstood to think that we then lose our freedom to let go of him. There's several examples in the Bible of people who did come to Christ, but then they, they fell away. People who were even spirit-filled, but then they became proud over the years and grieved away the Holy Spirit. And Paul warns about that. He said, you know, uh, there are people who preach to others. Paul said, even he, after coming to Christ and accepting Christ and being spirit-filled, he said, lest I preach to others, but I am a castaway. And so he said, you know, I have to submit myself. I die daily. There's an ongoing struggle in the Christian life to maintain that relationship. I think it's reckless. It's a little dangerous when some Christians are taught, once you say a prayer and you accept Jesus and you're sincere, Then, regardless of what you do in your life, you cannot lose your salvation. Uh, You know, I think you can have assurance in your relationship with the Lord, but you cannot be neglectful and you can't be presumptuous and you can't be reckless because God is clear that people like King Saul, chosen by the Lord, filled by God's Spirit, but he became proud and then rebellious and he ended up grieving away the Holy Spirit and falling on his sword. Judas was along with the other apostles. He went out casting out devils and doing miracles, but he was greedy and covetous, and he would not repent of his sins, even when Jesus washed his feet. And Judas, he went out into darkness. It says Satan entered him. Paul talks about a dog that uh, goes to his own vomit, a pig that was washed, returned to wallowing in the mire. And so there are some people that turn away. Jesus wrote to the church in uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, that if they did not repent, these are churches, Christians. He said, I will remove your candlestick out of its place. And our names can be taken from the book of life. So, yeah, there's many examples that say you must continue to abide in Christ. If we do not abide in Christ, John 15, mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, we can pluck, be plucked up and gathered. The The cuttings are gathered and burned. Uh, you know we have a book can a saved man be lost i will send you a free copy of that book if you like call 800-835-6747 can a saved man be lost got a lot of scripture in it friends and i think you'll find it a very powerful middle of the road explanation how you can have assurance but you can lose your salvation if you are playing russian roulette with eternity and you don't want to do that all right who is next here got time for one or two more Anthony, New York, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live.
2: Uh, Hi, Pastor. Thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. My question um, has to do with Luke uh, chapter uh, 17, verse 4, um, basically where it says that um, if uh, your brother, uh, if somebody trespasses against you seven times in a day, seven times, and he comes back seven times in a day, asking for forgiveness, you shall forgive him. I've heard uh, someone interpret that to mean that you are, you know, give them the liberty to say that I will only forgive someone if they come to me and ask for forgiveness, but I don't have to extend forgiveness. So I don't have to forgive and just let things go even if somebody doesn't come ask for forgiveness i just wanted to know how does that relate to you know what the bible says if you do not forgive men their tra- their trespasses i will not forgive you and forgive us our debts as we forgive our you know debtors right
1: great question there's a few different aspects of forgiveness you know if if someone comes to you if they've offended you and they come to you and say you know i'm sorry you may have cut off the relationship when they offended you because you thought this is toxic but then they come to you and they say you know i'm sorry And you see that there's repentance there. You say, all right, let's see if we can restore this relationship. If someone, you know, they're working for me and they shoplift and they get caught and they say, I'm sorry, I'll say, you're forgiven, but I'm not going to hire them again if they're shoplifters. You know, so God is not saying that you need to continue to let people abuse you because that's not good for them. I do think that when you forgive someone, you're helping yourself. In other words, it, it can make a person bitter inside. Who was it that said unforgiveness is a poison? It's an acid that corrodes the container that holds it. So if we've got bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts, it burns us up. So you always want to forgive. You don't want to have resentment and bitterness for anybody, even if they don't ask you. I know people, I preach about forgiveness. They come to me and they say, you know, my, my dad beat me when I was a kid and I've been mad at him for years and he's dead. Uh, he's never asked me for forgiveness. What do I do? I said, well, you got to forgive him for your sake. You just got to say, all right, he was a sinner. Lord, have mercy on him and just let it go. But you don't want to spend your life being bitter and angry at somebody because that will hurt you. So there's different aspects of forgiveness. Is this making sense?
2: Yes, it does. It, it makes perfect sense, and that does help. Thank you.
1: I do think it's important, like if I offend somebody, and I want forgiveness, I go to that person because I think that's part of the process. God knows when we sin, but yet we're told to confess to him. Why? He knows because it does something for us. Yeah, I think confession is very important. And of course, repentance needs to go with that. Thank you very much, Anthony. I do have a, a sermon online. I think you'll find beneficial, and it's called 70 Times 7. You just type in type into YouTube or the Amazing Facts channel. 70 times 7, Doug Batchelor, and I've got a study there on forgiveness. I think that you'll find encouraging. You know, I'm looking at the clock and then I'm looking at the phone calls and I see Jay, Deborah, Joshua. I am so sorry. I did not get to your calls tonight. I hope you give us another chance. It would be sort of an insult to take your call in the last few minutes that we've got. Listening friends, I hope you will also plan on tuning in again next week. In the few moments that remain, I'd like to remind you that the only reason that we are on the air is because people just like you who hear the program feel moved by the Holy Spirit to say, You know, I want to give to help support this basic, simple, direct Bible teaching. We try to do the most direct teaching you can do where people ask specific questions, we open our Bibles, and we give them answers to help people grow in the faith. If you've been blessed, And you enjoy the program. Some listen for years, but they never do anything to help us stay on the air. We need to hear from you. Just go to amazingfacts.org. Tell us if you've been encouraged by the program. We'd love to hear from you. Amazingfacts.org. God bless. We'll study again next week.
0: Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. Find out
3: what the critics are raving about. Top scholars and theologians from around the country come together to reveal the hidden history of the book of Revelation. With powerful reenactments and incredible visual effects, this 95-minute masterpiece brings to life the book of Revelation like never before. Revelation is no longer a mystery. Get your copy today. Visit iTunes or afbookstore.com. Journey back through time to the center of the universe. Discover how a perfect angel transformed into Satan, the arch-villain. The birth of evil, a rebellion in heaven, a mutiny that moved to earth. Behold the creation of a beautiful new planet and the first humans. Witness the temptation and evil. Discover God's amazing plan to save his children. This is a story that involves every life on earth. Every life. The cosmic conflict. If God is good, if God is all powerful, if God is love, then what went wrong? For life changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com.
0: If you'd like to enhance your study of God's Word, visit our website at www.amazingfacts.org and sign up for our free Bible study course. And make sure to check out our online bookstore at afbookstore.com, which offers thousands of inspiring books, DVDs, and more to help you get the most out of God's Word. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Did you enjoy this program? Make sure to tell your family and friends. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live, honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions.